You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. So tonight, we are going to begin at chapter number two. So if you have your Bibles, let's open to Philippians chapter number two. And tonight, we are going to title this chapter's subject, Life's Pattern. Life's pattern. This is the template or the pattern or the process that God has given for us to live in our Christian walk with God. And we have subtitled it, The Submitted Mind in Christ or The Submissive Mind in Christ. And we're going to see here that God's pattern for our life is that of submission. That of submission. Obedience is a a common thread in both the first chapters of Genesis and the first chapters of Matthew, where my Bible reading this year has taken me at the beginning. And obedience is the word of the day, because rebellion is the nature of man. It's our fleshly nature. And it is the nature of the world in which we live in. And so this is life's pattern that God has given us. This is a warning. This is countercultural to what we experience in this world. But this is the pattern that Christ is giving to us and Paul is testifying of. The key verse we would say of this chapter is chapter 2 and verse number 5 where Paul says this. Let This mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This mind, this way of thought, this way of thinking, this was in Christ. And so if it's in him, then let this be in you. Now Paul does something, whether intentionally or not, it's easy for us to divide this chapter into four parts. And so we're going to look at The submitted mind in Christ in four parts, and there are four examples, and that is the example of Christ, which it begins with, then it moves to the example of Paul's ministry, then it goes to the example of two of Paul's helpers, and we'll cover those tonight, but we're going to begin tonight with the example of Christ. Let's go to chapter 2 and verse number 1, and we'll read the first four verses here. He says this, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He begins with the first four chapters talking to the church. 
and he gives some rather pastoral admonitions to them. And then verse 5, he segues into everything that he has been saying in the first four verses to let us know that this is the pattern or the mind that was in Christ and it should also be in us. And Then he's going to follow on and he's going to give the great explanation and the allegory of the absolute transcendent God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ and how he came as a servant and how much more we should also. But he begins with some admonitions to us concerning people. Everybody say people. People. Paul speaks to us here from both dealings that we saw in chapter 1 hinted of, of criticism and neglect within the church at Rome, and then later, as we will see in this epistle, he is addressing divisions that exist in the church. And so Paul addresses people. He addresses the issues of our fellowship and dealings one with another. Now we closed out chapter 1 talking about our confidence in faith. And from that, when Paul writes this letter, it was not divided in chapter and verse. It was a continuance, something that would just continue on. And from that, faith would lead us to the first fruits of submission. And we see that here in this passage, that is unity. So the first fruits of submission we see are unity. Later on in the same chapter, we will see fruits of submission being that of character and that of sacrifice. But he begins with unity. People. People can rob you of your joy. People, not stuff, will disappoint you more than anything else in life. And yet, in Philippians, the theme, one of the major themes of the verse, as we highlighted last week, is joy. Paul possessed joy. Paul retained joy. Paul exuded joy. Everywhere he went, there was joy, joy, joy. And this is at the end of his life, mind you. He's writing from a house arrest where he's chained to two guards, and yet he's still talking about how great his life is. Joy in the Holy Ghost. Joy, thanking God for us, thanking God for the church. And yet Paul begins to address here in this passage something that will steal your joy quicker than anything else. Can I say this? That nothing can derail revival in the personal mind and the personal soul quicker than disunity and, and disfellowship among the body of Christ. That's why Paul addresses this. He says it this way. He said, if there is any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. He said, my joy is that ye be like-minded and have the same love, being of one accord and, and being of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, 
But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And he tells us, look not on every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Paul is opening up this chapter talking about a man submitted and being submitted and having the submissive mind of Christ in us by allowing us to know that the pattern of a life that we must walk is one of unity, one of love, and one of fellowship. This is not something that's just easily achieved, that's just automatically achieved but it's something that must happen. Now, let's not make the mistake because unity, unity is something that truly comes from within. And it is not to be confused with uniformity. Uniformity is often what sometimes we perceive or we achieve, but it's not true unity in the Spirit. True unity of the Spirit will come from within. Uniformity will come from pressures from without. As pastors, as overseers, as ministers of the gospel of Christ, God tells us that those are for the edifying of the church, for the perfecting of the saints, and it is the responsibility of the pastor to admonish the church Amen, in the ways of God. And in admonishing them in the ways of God, you've got to draw clear lines in the sand. In teaching what God wants and what is right, you by default have to, you have to denounce what is wrong and you have to point out what is wrong. And so sometimes uniformity can be achieved because somebody is saying, hey, we've got to do this. So for instance, let's say, we come, and here we are in prayer and fasting. You've got to pray and fast. That is the admonishment in the month of January. You need to pray and fast. But the desired goal is not just that we all fall into uniformity because there's an external pressure pressuring me to fast. Pastor's going to ask if I fasted and, fasted and prayed. Pastor's going to know if I fasted and prayed. Uh, somebody's going to ask me, I didn't put my initial on the calendar. And so we have these external things that say, okay, I'm going to do that. But what really needs to be achieved is the desires from within our heart being one that says, hey, I, I didn't sign up on the calendar, but you know what? I'm going to go ahead and pray anyway because it's a desire in my heart and I'm going to pray for revival and I'm going to pray for the spirit of the Lord to have his way. You see what I'm saying? Unity is something that comes from within that says, hey, we're going to love one another. We're going to serve one another. We're going, to, we're going to see not to our own needs, but to the needs of others. That's something that, that you can't guilt people into. That has to come from inside. I was thankful yesterday I was in need of a good Samaritan. And so I called my wife, see if she would be the good Samaritan that could come and help me. And I was broke down on the side of the road. And... Uh, I uh, had my hood up on my car or truck and uh, pulled out my jumper cables. All I needed was a quick jump. That's all I needed. And so I set my cables out there in front and I called my wife to see if she could come. And she was busy with some things and so it was going to take a while. And, and uh, I watched as all of these work trucks just kept passing right by me, were passing right by me. And, 
And guys looking at me as they were going, and they'd pull into the parking lot, and on their way out of the parking lot, they, they'd make sure they'd go around the long way. They'd go around the long way kind of thing. And finally, a good Samaritan came by, his pickup truck, and he got almost past me, and er, I heard the screeching of his tires, threw that thing in reverse, pulled back, pulled right over, got out, popped his hood, and I had it ready to go, and I jumped out and said, thank you, sir, should just take a second, absolutely, and put those jumper cables on, and, and it wasn't even 60 seconds, and fired up, ready to go. Thank God for the great man that would come by and stop and pause and give a few moments. I'm glad that there's still some good Samaritans, amen, out there in the world. Uh, but I'm in the world, and I'm thinking, okay, look at these people. They're busy. They tend to their own things. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And so I thought, well, I, just, I actually got a few days ahead in my Bible listening, sitting there killing time there. And so, Lord, you can speak to me now. And so, so I guess it was the Lord's will. And, but the guy came by and stopped. But, but when we come to the church, we should not have to, proverbially speaking, put the hood of our cars up. And say, I hope that if you need a jump in the church parking lot, that when we dismiss service and you got the cables laying out, that I hope people aren't driving by, going the long way around the parking lot, hear me somebody, trying to avoid you, but I hope that it wouldn't be but the first person say, hey, is there any way I can help you? Is there any way I can help what's going on? Folks, that's not something, amen, that can just be manipulated or manufactured. That's got to come from inside. And that's what Paul was saying. Let there be true unity of the Spirit. Amen. Can I tell you, in 2018, we need to have a unity of the Spirit like that. Amen. And not only in 2018, but in every day, in every age. Seek not, he said, to your own things, but seek to the things of others. That's a good thing. Amen. Seek to the things of others. Why are we seeking to the things of others? Well, I'm going to tell you, you seek to the things of others. Amen. The great secret here is that when you begin to serve others, Serving others best serves you. <laughs> That's why we try to get everybody to find a place to serve in church. Don't just be, amen, don't just be uh, somebody that, that sits on the pew and enjoys and soaks in. Now, everybody goes through seasons, we understand. But find a place to get involved. There is something that happens when you seek, amen, to the needs of others rather than to your own. That's what we're doing when we're serving the kingdom of God. Why there are people here that spend countless hours. And if we would total them up for the year, amen. Teachers and people who clean that you don't know that are sneaking in the church. I've come in and people say, oh, I didn't want you to see me here. I was going to clean before you got here. I just didn't want you to see me here. People coming around and serving the kingdom of God. Amen. Can I say thank you Thank you for serving, amen, this local church. Thank you for serving the body of Christ. But if you're serving the body of Christ, amen, with the right spirit, you've already received the blessing of that because you know you can't outgive God. And there is a blessing, amen, that comes back on you when you serve others. And so this is what Paul was saying. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In 2018, you ought to make a resolution. Hey, let's be early for church. And let's find out where we can serve, what we can do, 
how I can help, how I can entreat. Maybe you don't have it. Can I tell you, you don't need an official title in the kingdom of God to serve in the kingdom of God. A smiling face, a handshake, amen, a word of encouragement, a kind prayer can go farther, amen, than you could ever imagine. And then don't seek to just rush off, but seek to, hey, how can I serve? How can I help? How can I help someone? Look for someone, amen, to serve. And this is what Paul was introducing to the Philippian church. There was needs that he would address later on. And he lets us know that this is the mind of Christ. This is the mind of Christ. And so if Christ has this in his mind, how much more ought we? And so now let's go to verse 5. And let's look here. He says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, there's that word again, unto death, even the death of the cross. The mind of Christ. So here it is. He's giving to us the mind of Christ. The MEV or the modern English version says it this way, who being in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And that is an excellent rendition or translation of of the old English that we have here in the KJV because literally that's the word that he is saying. He, he was in the form of God, but he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Another, another uh, uh, in translation I heard said, he did not grasp at divine prerogatives that God, God, the transcendent, absolute God. Everybody remember the absolute series where we spent, amen, a series of weeks studying who God was and what it was about and how that relates to the person of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of the Lord. The absolute, unknowable, transcendent, invisible God made himself knowable. And he made himself incarnate, comes down and dwells among us. The God of all eternity took upon himself humanity and he robes himself. The Bible uses that language in flesh. And he dwells among us. And when he comes, he is God. He is the God. He is the I am from the beginning. But he is now God in a different manifestation. A God that is revealed. That is coming to us. And when he comes, he comes in the form of humanity. He comes as a servant. He lowers himself down to finite man, to creation. And the Bible says when he came, he did not seek to be treated like the Almighty God, but he came as a servant. He humbled himself. He did not grasp at divine prerogatives. He did not. As, as it says here, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He did not come as a king, but he came in the most humble of ways as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger on the outskirts of Jerusalem in a little town called Bethlehem. That was how Jesus Christ came to this world. That was how he entered. He didn't show up at the party and say, okay, I'm here. Everybody pay attention. No. No. 
He came with humility. He came not as a king. He came as a servant. Was he king? Absolutely. Was he God? Absolutely. Did he have all power in heaven and earth? Absolutely. But he did not come. He humbled himself. What an awesome God we serve. And he said when he came, he made himself obedient even unto death. That Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. Why he could at one moment, he could could speak the word. He didn't even have to speak it. He could think the word. He could think something and cause it to happen. But nonetheless, Christ carried the cross. And the Bible says that he carried the sins of all humanity. He carried the weight of the sins of all humanity upon him. As he was crucified on that cross, every nanosecond more of pain. We, we can't even begin to describe the immense pain that, that Jesus Christ went through. And yet, at any moment, he could have shed the cross. At any moment, he could have called his angels. At any moment, he could have come down from there. At any moment, he could have stopped the pain because he was God. He could have healed himself. But he did not because he made himself obedient and he submitted himself. Submitted himself. That's, that's hard for us to comprehend. That's hard for us. Who in this world is not going to try to mitigate pain? Why, if we went to your house tonight, you probably got Tylenol, aspirin, ibuprofen, Advil. What's the others? A leave, I mean, you name it, you've got it on the shelves. There it is. And hardly any of those things ever address the real problem. It just masks the pain because we don't want the pain. And here Christ endures pain unbearable, undescribable. And yet he could have spoken it all away. But he made himself obedient to all of those things. Why? So that the penalty of sin could be dealt with. So that he could rise out and say, "Uh uh-uh, I've already dealt with that. I paid the price for every sin that was committed. Folks, he could have just wiped out all of eternity and started over. He could have wiped out all of our existence and started over. But he did not. He sought to save us and he did it through his humility and he did it through his submission. And Paul says, If this is the mind of Christ, Christ is our great example. There's no greater thing than to be like Jesus. Then how much more ought I be like Christ? That means that when I have power to change things, amen, that I don't like, I submit not to my will, but I submit to his will. You say, well, I'm living for God. No, I don't, I don't like all this going to church on Sunday, twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday. I don't like this paying my tithe. I don't like this stuff. I don't like that, man. That really crowds in my... Well, we submit our lives to Jesus Christ because it's not about us. And we have... You say, well, I don't need to do that. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's right. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. But the beautiful thing about the Christian is the Christian doesn't say, I'm doing this because they're making me do this. They're saying, I'm doing this because I want to do this. 
You grow up, someday you realize, here we got some college students here tonight. I'm encouraged. I'm glad that kids still go away to college and say, hey, I got to find an apostolic church. I got to find a place to be in the house of the Lord. You know why? Because I need it, because you need it, because we need the word of God in our life. And you submit yourself to the word of God. Let this mind be in you. How great an example for us who are so finite. Christ was infinite and yet he submitted himself. We are not and we don't submit ourselves. But oh, how much more should we? And he goes on and he says, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Let's just pause there. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him. What are we talking about? We are talking about the difference here. Paul is talking about the difference between the transcendent, invisible God that no man has seen at any time. The God that fills all in all. You cannot comprehend God. You cannot contain God. He is beyond. But God, that God, made himself knowable in the manifest person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not another God. He is not another deity. He is not a, quote, equal person. He is the invisible God, the unknowable God, made knowable, amen, made, made seeable, made, made learnable, and that. Unknowable God does not cease to be all in all. He does not cease to be fill everything. He does not cease to be invisible, even though he has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Are you following me? But wherefore God hath highly exalted him. God, the unknowable God, says, I'm going to manifest myself. I'm going to come down. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be obedient even unto death. And when that happens, I am going to exalt the revealed person, the revealed logos of God, the person of Jesus Christ. I will exalt him. And so he exalts him. And the Bible says he's given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow and everything in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> Literally, Jesus Christ is Jehovah. He is the I am that I am. He is the God that fills all in all to the glory of God the Father. Christ is what glorifies the invisible, unknowable God. Hallelujah. Can I just highlight here that the power that Paul was talking about that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess is because Christ submitted himself to the will of God. If you and I want spiritual power, amen, we can never tap into it until we learn obedience to the cross, until we learn submission to the will of God. But oh, when I've submitted my life to God, I'm tapping into something that's beyond finite Andrew. I'm tapping into the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And when Jesus sent them out two by two, 70 into the cities to preach and teach, they came back and said, Lord, we are, we are so happy. We're so excited. We're so marveled because even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. You know why they were subject to them? Because they were submitted and in obedience to God. If we want the power of the Holy Ghost, it starts with submission. It starts with obedience to the Lord. 
Don't ever skirt over that issue in your life. Don't ever skip that issue in your life. I, want to know, I don't want to know what I've got to do just to live on the edge. No, I want to know what all I can do. Because the more I submit and the more I obey, the more I possess. Amen. The Lord in my life and the greater, amen, the power and the ministry of God in our life. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every t- thing Every tongue should confess, everything in heaven, things in the earth, things under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That reference you can see in Isaiah 45 and Isaiah 66, also in, uh, I think it's, uh, is it Romans or Romans 14, but talking about every knee is going to bow, every, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can I tell you, whether or not you choose to live for God now, Christ will be glorified. He will be exalted. He will be magnified. He will be lifted up. Amen. We go on in verse number 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We come to the second example, and that is the example of Paul's ministry. So we first saw the example of Christ. The example of Christ and now we're at the example of Paul's ministry. And so Paul's going to give us some things that, that he's going to talk about the ups and downs of a life in Christ. And if we would just be honest and be real tonight, amen, how many know that you still have flat tires, your battery still goes dead, you still have bad hair days, even after the Holy Ghost, amen, comes into your life, you have ups and downs, you have trouble, you have people trouble, that's a reality of life. And so Paul's talking and he's going to address some things. And the first thing he says here is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There is a purpose to a life in Christ. And can I remind you that that purpose is your salvation. I like the old song we used to sing, above all else, I must be saved. Above all else, I must be saved. Lord, for whatever you have to do to me, Don't let me be lost for eternity, for above all else, I must be saved. Can I tell you, that's a good song. Can I tell you, that's a better prayer to pray. You ought to pray that prayer and say, God, whatever you've got to do, don't let me be lost. Don't don't let me stray. I've got to have you in my life. I've got to be saved in my life. That is the most important thing. If you are not saved according to the word of God, through repentance, through baptism in Jesus' name, through the infilling and empowering of the Holy Ghost and living and overcoming life in sin, over sin, I'm here to tell you tonight that salvation is the most important thing. And if you want to be baptized, you can call me morning, noon, or night. We'll baptize you any hour. If you want to be prayed for to receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost, can I tell you, you don't have to wait for Sunday. God can fill you, amen, at your kitchen table. He can fill you in your car driving down the road he can fill you wherever you are but above all else we must be saved that's the number one purpose in our life and then he goes on and lets us know that there's a power for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure I don't know about you but I am thankful that God is working in me God is working through me, amen, to do his will and to do his good pleasure. I need less of me and I need more of him. And somebody said amen. Amen. So there's a power of the Holy Ghost. I I don't want to skip over this, but 
but you need to do a study of the power of the will of God. If you start looking at that throughout scriptures, through the gospels, wow, it will open up so much. But this is what Paul is talking about, allowing the will of God to work inside of our heart. Amen. And you can't do that unless you submit. Amen. And you stop resisting because flesh will always resist the work of the Spirit of God in our life. Can I get an amen? He goes on, to do, do all things without murmurings and disputing. So here he is back on this unity thing. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, folks, we live in a world. Amen. That, that's crooked and perverse, he says. But he's saying that we should not do our things with murmurings and disputings, but we should have unity. Can I tell you, when the Lord comes back, I firmly believe with all of my heart that the church, amen, is going to be a unified church. And, and that the unity of the church, according to what Paul's saying right here, will stand out as a testimony. So when people encounter Christ the King Apostolic Church, if we are truly going to be an apostolic New Testament church, people should walk away saying, wow, those people are unified together. Amen. Now, we'll always have humanity in our life. We'll always have humanity in our midst. And we will all make mistakes. And there will always be things. But the characteristic of God's church should not be one of murmurings, and of disputings, of complainings, of backbitings, of talking against one another. But it should be one of love. It should be one of care and concern. Amen. Blameless and harmless. Amen. Without rebuke. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to go to. I want to go to. Amen. You say, well, I'm not perfect. That's right. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect either. Amen. But I didn't come to this church so you can talk about my imperfection or I to talk about your imperfection, I came to look at his perfection so that he can change us. Amen. So you had a bad day. That's all right. I had a bad day last week. Amen. But here we are, and God's still good, and he's on the throne, and so let's, let's march forward in Christ. That's what he's saying, holding forth the word of life. That's the word of God. Thank God we have the word, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Here it is, his testimony, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul is saying, follow the example of my ministry, of what I have taught you, of what I have admonished you in my times before and the men and women that I've left and established there. Let this be an example to you that the mind of Christ, the submitted life, submitted one to another, submitted to Christ and the will of God will be strong in you. And so Paul is saying, let my ministry be an example that when I'm gone, don't let me die in vain, but let it continue on. And can I tell you a great testimony? The greatest testimony that I think a parent would want of their family and of their children is for their children to go on and do better and to do more what they did, for them to succeed in every way that they could. And that was Paul's prayer. That was Paul's desire. Go on, go on, go on, continue on, let it be. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. And so Paul's ministry, he said, this is my joy. This is my desire. This is my focus. This is my heartbeat for all of these things. 
He goes on. And, and, and I'm thankful that Paul is real enough to pause and address issues. I have never been a part of a church or a group of believers, amen, where there hasn't been people trouble. I don't know that you can find a church that doesn't have people trouble. Well, you might be able to Google one, but I guarantee you when you show up, there's no people there. And that's why they have no people trouble. Amen? You're going to have people trouble. That's a reality. And I thank God that Paul is real enough to address this and bring it up. Thank God that he's saying, hey, here it is. Here, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm sensing. But we can do better, and Christ has more for us. Let's do more. Let's be better. Let's be blameless in this crooked and perverse generation. So maybe we could all pause right here and just internally ask ourselves, hey, how can I be better? How can I do better? How can I not let murmurings and complaints or, or things or negativity be the first thing out of my mouth? Whether it's on social media, whether it's in a text thread, whether it's on the phone, whether it's at church. But God, help me to be unified in the Spirit, submitted in the Holy Ghost to God's will. Amen. Anybody ever talk, talk bad about your family or, or you know something's there, but then when somebody else talks bad about them, you, you're not happy with them. It's okay for you to say it. Nobody's going to help me preach on Thursday or Wednesday night here tonight, right? It's okay for you to say it, but don't let him, don't, don't talk about my people like that. Those are my people. Those are my folks. You see people, don't talk about that. Well, you were just saying all the same things, you know, kind of thing. We take ownership. That's how we ought to be in the church. We understand the realities. We can see the realities. We don't have to have our head in the sand and act like everybody's just perfect all the time. No. We can know those realities. But let there be something inside of our heart that says, hey, I'm submitted one to another. I'm submitted to the body of Christ. My intent is not to talk about somebody to bring them down. My intent is to pray for them, to help lift them up. And that's what we do when we cover one another in prayer. I'm going to tell you. It's a good rule of thumb before you talk bad about somebody. Just stop and pray for them. Because if you're really going to pray for them, you've got to at least pray, God, well, I don't like them, but God, they need to be saved. And, and Lord, I know you want them to save, so I pray, let them be saved. And you start praying for somebody like that, and it's awful hard, amen, to take, Amen. <laughs> To say other things because in your heart you're saying, Lord, they need to be saved. They need to be saved. And sometimes you, there are people, can I tell you, let's be real. There are people in the world that will be difficult enough that all your conversation needs to be about them is they need to be saved. And I'm praying for them. Amen. Is that all right? Is that good? Somebody say, mm, that's good. Amen, amen, amen. All right, we got to hasten on. I've got to wrap this up here. Verse 19, he goes on now and he's going to give us two examples. The example of Timothy. He says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheia shortly unto you that I also may, may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him that as a son... With a father, he hath served me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with 
me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Paul gives us here this example of Timothy. And there are three things I want to highlight. Timothy had Christian character. And this is the reason why Paul trusts him. But three things that we see here. Speaking of the example of Timothy, which is a fruit of submission, and that's right character. So three things. First, Timothy had a servant's mind. He said, there's no one else that I can send that will care for your state. Naturally care for your spiritual state. Timothy was coming as a servant. He was coming to serve. He was not coming to rule. He was not coming to dominate. He was not looking for a title or a position in the church. He was coming to serve the kingdom of God. And can I tell you, that's what we need. We don't, we don't need people to say, everybody wants to preach on Sunday night. No, we, what we need is people that will serve the kingdom of God. So Timothy came with a servant's mind. Timothy, the second thing he highlights, he says here, he said, you, you have proof of him because he, as a son with the father, he hath served me in the gospel. Timothy had a servant's training after Timothy was brought into the church and born into the body of Christ. He was left there at Darby and Lystra where he could mature in the fellowship. And later in Acts chapter 16, Paul referenced Timothy as saying this, that it was well reported of him with the brethren, that Timothy had a great reputation. And Paul writes and says, bring him to me. And he now becomes a son in the gospel of Paul's ministry. And so Timothy had proper training. And then at the end, he is Paul's son in the gospel. So he has the servant's reward. He carries on the duties of his father and so a man in like character, this is the example that Paul gives to us. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Let it be the example of my ministry. And let it be of Timothy also, because Timothy in his submitted state was willing to go about, sit and be trained, and then to go about and minister and to serve Paul. And now he's coming to serve you also we have to be willing when we serve the kingdom of God. Sometimes God moves us from place to place. And he takes us out of our comfort zones. And we don't get to choose where we want to be. I'm, I, I think I've sort of given up now, but I prayed for a long time for God to call me to a place like Hawaii or something like that. I know people there, but he's never called me to a place like that. So I grew up in the Midwest, and here I am in the Midwest. Because when you serve, you've got to be obedient to what God has, to what God's desires are for you. And can I tell you, Timothy learned the lesson that, it, that being where God wants you is the right place to be, and it's the best place to be. Don't despise your position. Can I say that again? Don't despise your position if you are living an obedient and submitted life to God. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. But trust the Lord. And then we close out with this, the example of Epaphroditus, who was a man of sacrifice. And he goes on and he says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger 
And he that ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death. God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service towards me. And so the final example that Paul gives to us in this passage is the example of Epaphroditus, who was a man of sacrifice, but there were three things of him that we see. Number one, he was a balanced Christian. Somebody say balanced. Paul said of him, he is my brother, my brother, he is my companion in labor, and he is also my fellow soldier. He's my brother because we were both saved in the gospel through the blood of the Lamb. He's my companion because he comes alongside and he works. And he's my fellow soldier because he fights for the gospel of truth. He fights for the kingdom of God. He was not a Christian that only did one and not the other, but he had balance in his life. Somebody said it this way. You cannot fight with a trowel and you cannot build with a sword. But if you're going to be a builder and a fighter, you've got to have balance. You've got to have both in your life. And that's what we need in the kingdom of God is people who are balanced. Be Christians. Amen. Don't just excuse yourself from one aspect. Amen. Because you say, well, that's not my thing. It's not my thing to worship God. Or it's not my thing to give to the church. Or it's not my thing to pray. Can I tell you, what we need is a balanced example of submission before us. It says, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll serve wherever you want me to serve. And I'll do as much as you want me to do. So he was balanced. The second thing we see of Epaphroditus is that he was burdened. He was burdened for Paul in ministry. Turn to somebody and tell them to get a burden. Get a burden. Stand together with me tonight. Let's stand. Get a burden. He was burdened for Paul in ministry. Paul was in ministry. Paul had need. And so Paul was in prison in Rome. And Epaphroditus saw Paul's desires or needs and so he takes an offering from the church of Philippi. And the Bible says that he takes the offering all the way to Rome to Paul. He travels all the way there because he cared about what was going on. And then while he was there, the Bible says he was burdened for his home church. The Bible says he was there. He longed for them and he was worried he was going to cause sorrow. You know why? Because he was dying on his deathbed and he felt bad. He, he was saying, Lord, I can't die because they'll feel bad for sending me all the way here. And so he was burdened for the local church, his home church. There was a love there. I think it's all right if we have a burden for our church. I think it's all right if we have a burden one for another. I think it's all right that we ought to think, oh, I hope the church is okay. Oh, I hope, I hope the church, I, I wonder if there's anything the church needs. Can I tell you, that's apostolic for us to have a burden. Amen. In our own heart. As he burdened for the local church, even when he almost died, he's not concerned about himself. He was concerned about the church, but he was blessed. He was, he was balanced. He was burdened. He was blessed. He was blessed because he was a man that got to leave 
and go be and serve next to Paul, even in his house arrest, bring the offering. And now he gets to come back and bring the very words of the Apostle Paul, that which would become a part of our holy Bible. And he gets to carry that back to the church and say, here it is. Here's Paul's desire for you. Amen. Can I tell you, there's nothing greater than a focused mind in Christ followed by a submitted mind in Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Somebody said it this way, that you cannot think of two things at the same time. If we were trying to do an exercise, and I close with this, and you're trying to think of two things at the same time, you cannot do it. You cannot think of the pain in your body at the same time you are thinking about some great blessing. Your mind goes back and forth. It is, it is not capable of thinking of two things at the same time. It's going back and forth. Paul said, let this mind be in you. He's writing from prison at the end of his life. And Paul is saying, I am joyous for you. I thank God for my joy. Let this mind be in you. Here's the point. If our mind is in the mind of Christ, the circumstances of our life are not going to be the things that are prevailing upon us. If my mind is focused on Christ, I'm not going to be worried about what everybody else is saying about me. I'm not going to be worried about what's going on because I can't think about those things at the same time. So get your mind stayed on Jesus. We used to sing that Song, I woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on Jesus. You know what? There was a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of power to that. Wake up. Let, let God be the first thing in your life. Let God be the thing that you think about. Amen. I don't know about you, but I want to pattern my life, a life submitted to the Lord tonight. Would you lift your voice with me? God, I thank you tonight for your word. I thank you for the truth, the simplicity.